This episode of Tales from the Crypt is sponsored by the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. They're helping us stack stats. They've also been the number one finance app in the App Store for the last two years. They're the first peer-to-peer payments app to allow you freaks to buy Bitcoin. It's the easiest way in the U.S., uh, in my opinion. No more having to wait five days for your ACH transfer to come through. Uh, with Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. And then when you're ready to take full ownership, when you are comfortable taking possession of your UTXOs and custodying your own private keys just use the cash app to scan an external wallet's qr code and send your bitcoin off where you can copy and paste the address into the cash app uh, and take custody of your own bitcoin cash app also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits other things that your bank doesn't offer like the boost program the cash card which is c- customizable um, and comes with the boost program you helps you instantly save anytime you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, Chipotle, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, local coffee shops, which is my favorite. I used it two hours ago down the street and saved a dollar. Download the Cash App today from the App Store, Google Play Store Freaks, and keep stacking sats. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Ruben from Bitter. I know Matt and I had a really fun time talking with him. Okay. From the crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here in the studio for recording number two of the day. Matt and I just ripped a rabbit hole recap that just went live, so I hope you freaks are liking that. We're sitting down with a very special guest. He's come all the way from Portugal uh, just to come on Tales from the Crypt. I'd like to introduce you freaks to the founder, CEO, and one-man team behind Bitter, Ruben Waterman. Ruben, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming, man. It seems like you had uh, the most pleasant uh, New York City uh, customs. Yeah, it was super fast. Just 20 minutes. Like, what's going on here? I've you been, guys uh, actually want tourists? Yeah. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been a big hater on the, on the uh, customs in the last, internet, last few international trips. It's been very hard for me. But I'm happy to hear that your, your uh, experience was seamless because it's a pretty terrible introduction to New York City is JFK customs. I don't think I've ever heard one positive thing ever said about <laughs> New York City. Here's customs. the first. There you go. Ruben's with the first. We, we've, uh, we, uh, we forgot the third mic uh, before we recorded Rabbit Hole Recap, so Matt uh, scooted back to his apartment to pick up that mic. And while we were there, I was diving into your tale. I think it's very interesting. So that's as we do on Tales from the Crypt, how did you find Bitcoin? You seem to have a very, uh, very funny story. Yeah, so while I was studying, I studied abroad for a while uh, in Boston in the U.S. And one of my roommates was like, oh, you guys, you guys have to look into Bitcoin. And this was like kind of the crazy roommate. And I was like, oh, whatever. And they were, he was like, yeah, that's what they use on, on, on Silk Road. You know, like this, this dark web. And I was like, not really intrigued by Bitcoin. But this dark web sounded interesting. So I, I uh, got the Tor browser and uh, figured out the onion address for Silk Road. And I just saw like all these weird things that, you know, were for sale and everything was priced in Bitcoin. So I was like, that kind of scared me off. And I was like, oh, no, no, no Bitcoin for me. <laughs> and this was, you were studying in the States, was 2011? Yeah, that, this was 2011, yeah. So you have a very, uh, very common story where you, you find it on the Silk Road and then a couple years later it comes back to tap you on the shoulder and says, hey. Yeah. So then in my uh, last year of the bachelor back in Holland, um, one of the major Dutch banks asked a couple of students from my university, like, hey, can you send in like a couple of students every Friday for three or four months and study Bitcoin for us? 
and see what we should do with it. And uh, well, we were a team of six. All the other guys, they don't do anything with Bitcoin, but I stuck with it because I was like, oh, if this actually is going to work, it's amazing. <laughs> what, yeah. uh, what sort of piqued your interest about it? Um, it being not inflatable is, is like my main, yeah, what, what got me into it. It's like the, the supply is fixed, it's 21 million and nobody can ever create more of it. Just like, I mean, this was while we were going through the 2008 financial crisis and just quantitative easing all over. And I was like, oh, uh, I mean, say goodbye to your savings. So what was it like experiencing that crisis as a European? I mean, we, we talk, we have a lot of guests that come through and talk about uh, the American point of view of the global financial crisis. What were you seeing over in Holland? Um, I think overall in Europe, I think we saw even more um, Inter like the government intervening even more than here like we had not a single bank collapse I mean not really like everyone got bailed out except for Cyprus mm -hmm. um, like here at least I believe some major companies went bust in the 2008 financial crisis and not in Europe yeah, let a couple go Lehman Solomon Brothers they like kind of went fake bust right yeah let a couple of the old heads die and like a lot of gobbles, there was a lot of gobble ups. Yeah, the consolidation. It was more of a bank consolidation play. And than we that. had massive bailouts too. Yeah, yeah. two trillion dollars. Or, yeah. It's the simplicity. It's not just. It's like just twenty-one million. It's just so simple. It's simple, yeah. When all this shit's going flying around, you know, you just twenty-one yeah. million. Yeah, and um, so you got reintroduced in two thousand thirteen at this course in Holland, but you said you spent some time in Cyprus too, correct? Yeah, yeah. So then after my bachelor's, I did my um, master's in Cyprus, and this was the uh, master's in digital currency. It's hosted by the University of Nicosia. It's it is completely remote, but as a kid, I we we went on holidays a lot in Cyprus, and I was like, well, you know, actually that would be a nice place to live at least for a year or so, and that's what I did. I um, met a bunch of the staff at the university. But uh, none of the lecturers, because everyone is remote. Like, there's people from the U.S. Uh, teaching and from Australia, all over. Would you recommend the class? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're probably, like, one of the oldest, like, master's recipients of uh, digital currency. Uh, uh, well, no, because I only graduated last, uh, uh, what was it, last July or so. Oh, uh, okay. So there have been a couple of cohorts before me. Yeah, I think they launched in like 2014 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. What was, uh, what was the course like? What was the structure of it? Um, so basically you start a new class every eight weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just one class at a time, so that really helps with the focus. Um, you start off with a money and banking course, so you really look into like, you know, what the current financial system is. And then you move on to a class called Open Financial Systems. Uh, where you kind of reinvent the current uh, currently existing business models in the financial industry and like try to figure out something that could be decentralized or could be done on top of Bitcoin. So um, is, did you uh, run into a lot of bad ideas of people trying de to decentralize things that probably shouldn't be? Oh yes, absolutely. So I I tried to do like a stupid blockchain project like in the supply chain and I was like at the end of the like you compose a nice report but then yet in the end of the class I was like this is not going to work <laughs> why um I mean we were like so in Europe you've got these um, like way bills you also have them in aviation for cargo we also have it for road logistics so I was trying to like put those on a blockchain and like make it better but at the end of the day someone still needs to put that data on the blockchain so you, you there's really no use of it 
I think um, did you guys see the block stream clip they did, like the parody clip of like the the, the timestamps being on every like water bottle and thing to sort no, of to sort of like uh, illustrate it what it would be like the blockchain, the supply chain. It's hilarious thinking that you would need to like use proof of work to hash some data <laughs> to prove that a water bottle got to you from a certain yeah, supplier. That's just silly. Yeah. No, but I, I, we should find that video and post a link because it's a very good visualization of how stupid blockchaining the supply chain is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry is it for, older? Is it an older link? I th it's last three months. I'm pretty sure. I think oh, it was wow. like an I April. I think it was an it. April Fool's thing, maybe. Oh, I just I turned off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the fucking Bitcoin industry, it's the worst. It's the worst day of the year. Yeah. Because you don't know, you already don't know what's real and what's not real. Like someone could actually be fucking tokenizing water bottles or something, and you'd have no idea. I think Coinbase like actually launched a real product on April Fools, which is it's the exact issue. It's like you have no idea what the hell is going on. Especially so with Coinbase. I tune off. Yeah. Tune off. Don't. I don't. I don't participate. Uh, but um, back to this master's class, so like economic theory, projects like how you make decentralized, like yeah. then. Are you diving into like the nitty gritty code of how to? Yeah, so I took the like, comp I mean, it's not really computer science, but they have two tracks. One is more like financial, and one is more com like computer science. Mm -hmm. So I did that one. Um, you look a bit into cryptography. That's one course, and there's a programming course. Um, I'm not a developer myself, but I did take that course, and it was hard. It was uh, my lowest grade of. The of the whole masters, but I actually learned the most, so it was really good. Awesome. What? Uh, so yeah. So what do you think you learned over over this master? Like, how did your perspective of this stuff shift over the course of your Were you masters program? Were you already a bitcoiner when you went to the masters? Yeah, I was. Oh, okay. Um, well, for one, so I did my my bachelor and masters at normal universities back in Holland, and you know you get all those micro and macro economics courses, and like just in the very first course in the, in the degree in Cyprus, I was like, oh, actually there's more. Like I had never heard of the Austrian School of Economics until I came <laughs> there. So, so yeah, that was big. It's another common trope between Bitcoiners. Yep. It's, uh, it is fascinating though how, this is a broken record at this point on Tales from the Crypt, but it's fascinating. Somebody who studied economics myself and you get a degree and you don't even think about it while you're getting that degree, but you're supposed to have like a, a, a well-rounded knowledge of the subject, yet you're only force-fed a very, very thin sort of school of thought behind the whole yeah. encompassing subject. I just find it weird that you they only teach you Keynes and they don't even tell you that there's other things like in That's normal universities. It it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's the way it is. It's the right way. <laughs> According to them, it's reality, but... Don't even get me started. I've been, <laughs> I've been triggered enough on this podcast last month and a half talking about central bankers. Uh, Matt, you know. So you got intro to Austrian after Bitcoin. Yeah. I feel like Bitcoin really, it almost like memifies Austrian because it, it, In a way, it yes. makes it so simple to understand because it's just what it used to be. That could you used to be just like a theoretical case study. What happens if you had a perfectly fixed supply of just this number and then that's it it's just fixed but 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 now that's real and it, it makes i think it, a lot of people like they they see it they understand the value of that just straight fixed supply first and it allows it like really opens up austrian economics to them in the first place yeah no and it's satoshi early on on i forget it was the mailing list or 
Bitcoin talk sort of said this will probably appeal to the libertarian Austrian school very innately and sort of attack that uh, demographic to help uh, bootstrap the network. And it, it, oh, it just makes makes sense. And again, going back to like not being taught in schools, that's the other great thing about Bitcoin is it forces you to learn, it forces you to get a master's degree. So let's get back to that. Like uh, the comp side part of it, do you think you would be able to have built better without this program? Um, I don't know if I would have gotten the idea, okay. but I, I mean, I'm still like, I'm still hiring external developers to actually build it. But, uh, yeah, the idea definitely came out of the master's degree. So in the very first course, money and banking, um, we had to think of just one, one financial industry, uh, company that could be done on top of Bitcoin. And back when I lived in the US, I was using acorns uh, mm -hmm. back in 2011. And I was like, there should be something like this for just to do Bitcoin. I mean, you don't need to invest in all the other shit coins, but just Bitcoin. And then like doing the, the recurring buys, uh, doing your change automatically, invest that in Bitcoin. And um, what I also like about Acorns is they team up with kind of like what Lolly does. Like mm -hmm. they team up with other companies and they say like, oh, if you spend like uh, $1,000 with us, we invest $50 back into your Acorns account, stuff like that. And I was like, well, actually that should be done for Bitcoiners. And so um, with Bitter, I started just with the recurring buys, but like that's kind of like the long-term vision that I have. Um, yeah, just Acorns, but then for Bitter, uh, for Bitcoin. And so what's the, the mechanics of building that product been like? Like acquiring the Bitcoin, divvying it out after purchases or and, and stuff like that? So the mechanics of how Bitter works yeah. nowadays? Yes. Um, so basically, we just um, automatically check our bank accounts every hour, and then we check for new transactions. If the incoming transactions is from a customer that we've already signed up in the past, they just go through automatically up until a certain amount. Um, we place the buy order at either Kraken or Bitstamp. Um, and then from our own wallet, we pay out the Bitcoin directly into the customer's wallet. and. At the end of each business day, we just like um, reconcile the balances and add up funds in Kraken and Bitstamp and uh, to our own Bitcoin wallet, basically. Do you have special deals with those exchanges where they where they're like, we know you're going to provide some volume, so um, give you no, but it's just volume based anyway. So like on on Kraken, you uh, the fee drops with every fifty thousand euros of volume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so how's you said you've been working on this for two years, but you were able to go live in August of 2018, correct? Yeah, that's right. So what, uh, what so, were sort of the hurdles that you saw and stuff oh, like that? I mean, yeah, I started this during my studies still, um, and I probably spent about six months with the developers to build the whole product. And I was like, in April, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. So I you know, went to the, I don't know, this agency that you register a company with in Holland. Um, and I thought, okay, next step is getting a bank account. And I was like, oh, that's pretty difficult if you're a crypto company because uh, all of the major Dutch banks, they were at, from the like very, very first appointment, they were like, no, you're not getting an account with us. Just <laughs> no. Uh, and there was like one that's like kind of like a startup bank. Like it's a bit more modern. They only have an app. There's no physical branches. And they they promote themselves as crypto friendly banks. So I was like, ah, I should try them. They have a nice API too, so that's that's great for Bitter. 
And um, it took some time, but eventually they did give me an account. What bank is this? Bunk. Bunk? Bunk. B-U-N-Q. B-U-N-Q. Yeah. Nice. So um, I guess that's something that I'm interested in as an American. Like, and that's something, being in New York State, too, that's something we talk about is like regulatory hurdles a lot and with... Bitfinex being in the news a lot. Oh, yeah. Too. And we have the bit license here, which makes it really difficult, yeah. extra difficult to so, get a bank account. Yeah, I think that's funny. Like on, on some crypto platforms, when you sign up, it's like you have to put a checkbox like, oh, I'm not from uh, Cuba, right. Sudan, or yeah. Iraq, or whatever. Or New York. Or New York State. <laughs> I think that makes us feel. It makes yeah. us feel horrible. Well, no, the one like, the, yeah, it was like North Korea, Iran, and New York State. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In Cuba or whatever. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So in Europe, it's a bit vague at the moment. Um, for example, I've, I've asked my uh, central bank, so the central bank of Holland, like, what do you guys think? Do I need to do a license for this? And they're like, no, not yet. We're, we don't regulate it. Um, so that's a bit strange. But um, starting from December, no, January 2020, uh, there's like a new update for the European legislation on, on this anti-money laundering stuff. And then... Mm -hmm. Uh, then we'll be able to apply for a license. And it's it's like not that bad, right? Um, I don't know yet. I mean, okay. for as for the KYC, we still need to do that because our bank requires it to do it. Like, there's no way that we can offer our service without doing some KYC. Right. So I feel like we kind of like skipped over what Bitter was a little bit, right? Oh like, yeah. Because it's so I so I just you tweeted at us. Right. That's how we discovered each other. Um, and immediately going to your website, I love like the simplicity of it. It's just you register an address, right? The customer registers an address with you. And then any time they transfer money to your bank account, you buy the equivalent amount of Bitcoin and send it to them. Did I get that right? Exactly. Yeah, it's that simple. They don't have to register like what time they're sending it or anything. They no. just send it to you. And you I'm, I'm not doing anything for the customer until they send me their money. So it's not like they have a subscription. They're f free to come and go whenever they want. And, and I like that kind of product. Why did you uh, pick this setup in particular? Um, because I thought the way to do dollar cost averaging on Coinbase is horrible. Like nobody makes the effort to actually withdraw the coins. So it's like... I mean, you have Bitcoin and people are storing it massively at a massive Bitcoin bank, which is Coinbase. Like, I thought I should do that better, hence Bitter. It is so, I think it's such an awesome, it's such a cool setup because you don't have to worry about custodying their Bitcoin. It doesn't... It, no, I don't want to take so that much, risk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes it so much lighter on you. And on their end, they can just, whatever their bank, they just set reoccurring payments if they want to do reoccurring or whatever yeah. order they want to do and they can just do it. And also on the website, there's not, there's nothing like a, a customer portal. So, I mean, I hope it will never happen. But if I get hacked, like the most I could lose is my own Bitcoin. Like there's not, never any customer data well, exposed the, on the website. How about like the KYC, all the KYC data, stuff like that? Yeah. The um, addresses. It's, it's, the KYC data is stored offline. The addresses are obviously in my database because otherwise I can't operate. Right. But... That's not exposed to the website. Yeah, that's the one uh, we've been talking to uh, Michael from Noddle. That's the one question he had is uh, about reusable addresses and, and yeah. adding the functionality to be able to dump a bunch of addresses to get to help with that, that obscurity. Yeah. So when I designed the product, I was like, I want it to be as simple as possible. Like I want to know as little as 
feasible about the customer, but I also want to make it like, you know, as easy for them as possible. So I just figured four, four steps. First step, email address, then the phone number, Bitcoin address, and then done. Like, that's it. Um, now, being almost like, uh, almost a year live, I found quite a bit of people requesting for like the possibility to, to enter an XPUB key so that, you know, for every deposit, I could use a new address in your uh, wallet. But I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to have people's XPUB keys because then I could like, I mean, not that I'm interested, but I, the, just the fact that I have that information bothers me. You could see every transaction. Exactly. I, I don't want, I don't want to do that. So now I've thought about a bit more about it and, um, I'm thinking that, you know, if people are responsible and they enter an XPUB key that hasn't been used yet, um, that at least says that it was empty when they signed up and I can check, I can like verify if it was empty when they, when they right. sign up. So that's what I'm going to do and, and implement it that way. So bef before actually paying out to any of those addresses, I'm first going to check if that XPUB was ever used. If it's used, I'm just not going to take it. I like that. So they don't act, they can't accidentally expose their past transactions and you just hope the customer is smart enough to just understand like that's their bitter wallet yeah. and they should transfer out of that. So, yeah. so that that XPUB doesn't uh, show any others. It's yeah. a nice, simple way to do it. I think, I think it's the best alternative. Like at the moment it's address reuse, which is not great. Um, getting people's XPUB is also not great, but then again, like for some merchant to, uh, sit, uh, from, for some merchant uh, providers, they also do that so that they can pay out to every uh, new address. Yeah, I guess like the issue, I guess the issue would be with the single addresses is that if someone is watching that address, they if they figure out what that address is, they can see how much Bitcoin you're buying. Yeah. Yes. Just tr easily track how much Bitcoin you're buying. So like that's why yeah. this Xbox idea would be a, a big improvement, I think. No, but I think this particular uh product feature highlights the sort of push and pull between users and builders who you're trying to take yeah. in as little data as possible users want as much functionality as possible so it's having that conversation with your user base like all right what are we comfortable with like and how i guess the question i'm leading into is like how do you uh how do you try to explain these trade-offs like within the product um that's a bit difficult i mean i for sure i'm i still want my mom to be able to use the service so i'm gonna leave the sign up as it is today uh, but then on the page where i would normally ask the users uh, bitcoin address i would just add a button like hey if you know what you're doing you can enter an xpub key here like the advanced button yeah or whatever. exactly yeah. Yeah. i think that's a nice balance that is because I, I really love how simple your service is it's like the ultimate stacking sets like it reminds me of azteca a little bit um obviously you're, yeah with the bank account instead yeah. of cash yeah exactly um that's incredible. And that's like one that we've been pumping stacking sats uh, here on this podcast. Um, we stack sats with Cash App here in the States. But I think so like in Europe, you're saying Coinbase was the only thing. How many other like bidder like products are there? Um, well, well, obviously, there's nobody doing it exactly my way of being non-custodian. But I guess like there's in every European country, there's usually like a, a brokerage firm. They would probably offer like a recurring buy option, but then they're always going to be custodian. Yeah. It's almost like similar to like, I feel like how like an OTC would be set up. Yeah. Like OTC relationship, but, 
but with actual end users that anyone can. So it's you're available all of Europe. Yeah. Anywhere in the EU. Um, I'm currently um, talking with the German regulator, uh, so it's not available in Germany yet, but um, it should be soon. Everywhere but Germany in yep. the EU. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you for building this. It's crazy that you're a one-man team. Yeah. Building this. I mean, when back in, in university, it was actually uh, two of us working on it, um, but uh, the guy I was working with during the studies was a bit older, uh, had a family, and he got a really good job offer for one of the major Polish brokerage slash exchange companies. So he went there. Then I first tried to find someone else to do to do it with, but I just couldn't. And I was like, I, I, I need to get going. Like, needs to be built. And you've been bootstrapping this bitch too, haven't you? Yeah. How's that been? Uh, I mean... This is a conscious decision, right? To bootstrap instead of... Yeah, I mean... I don't, I don't like, you know, over planning everything and like, oh, we need a lot of money and like get investors on board and get a whole team set up. It's like, no, it's, it's a super simple service. I'm just going to see if it works, if people actually want this and we can always grow. Like it, at the moment, the most time I spend on is like verifying new customers and doing a bit of customer support, but, uh, and, and that's like the only thing that would require more people at the moment. I think this is a very underappreciated mindset in the world right now, especially the VC world that we're in. Like the fact that you're able to bootstrap this is sort of ingenious way of getting Bitcoin to people is, yeah. is a, a case study and like, hey, you don't need to go raise $8 million to provide utility in this Yeah, space. no ICO is necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you're, you're stacking stats on your own because of this. You're, yeah. like, basically an easy way to accumulate Bitcoin. Yeah, true. Um, but you haven't been through a bull market yet. A bidder hasn't been through a bull market yet. Right? That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. You remember last bull market. <laughs> last bull market, things got crazy. Yeah. Customer service, you had to scale up. Yeah, so that's actually that's like actually a good segue into, like, how do you plan on scaling up? And how or before we even get to plans on scaling up, how have things been up to this point? How are users interacting with bidder? Well, at first it was a bit slow because nobody knew about the service, obviously. Um, but then um, one of the guys in my co-working space in uh, in Lisbon um, suggested, like, yeah, you should just integrate it with with existing wallets because I like your service, but it's just too much work to go to a separate website for it. And like, so yeah, that's what I did. I reached out to uh, Trezor and Ledger, and the guys from Trezor were like, kind of like you are, like, oh, this is this is great. We should we should integrate it. So that's bring, been bringing in a lot of new customers mm -hmm. the last two months. Wait, wait. How's the integration? How does that work? Is it uh, in their web wallet? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, they it, have the exchange tab on it. Yeah, there's a bunch of places where you can buy with your um, like credit card, Visa or Mastercard, and then all the way at the bottom, unfortunately. But I'm still happy. Uh, there's an <laughs> option to buy recurrently via SEPA, which is like the European payment system, awesome. and that's that's bitter. And you're the only one listed there. Yeah. This awesome. That's a big comment. Congrats on that. Thanks. How have, uh, how have users been using the platform? Like, Do you have a lot of recurring users, monthly active users coming back? Uh, um, I would say the majority of my users bi-weekly. Mm -hmm. um, I have only five people that buy daily, but I mean, that's great. Uh, and then there's a couple that buy monthly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's wow, the daily buy is an interesting one. 
that's yeah. uh that's perfect dollar cost averaging yeah it's literally yeah daily. i mean i mean at that point well you can get down to the hour right <laughs> uh yeah you in theory yes yeah. but that's a bit crazy daily is pretty crazy i mean your bank won't let you do hourly payments like True. the minimum with that's a true. standing order with the bank is daily. Yeah, that'd be a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> that'd be. <coughs> so it's yeah, like it seems like you haven't done any marketing at all, or like a lot of marketing at all. No, just a bit of random stuff on Twitter, like reaching out to you guys, for example. And but the treasure thing has helped me most. I think the TFTC pump is going to be bigger than the oh, treasure yeah, pump. You're going to love this one. The, our European <laughs> freaks—they've been waiting, you know, because we keep we keep shilling Cash App. Yeah, uh, and it's not US available only. for us. Yeah, exactly. So, so they've been they've been waiting for something, and I think this is a really good fit. Yeah, I think it's an incredible fit. So let's talk about going into the future. Like as you scale up, what it's a very simple product right now. Do you think there's beauty in its simplicity and doesn't need much twe- tweaking, other than adding features that customers are asking for? Yeah, I think it's that simple, really. Yeah. Like, I like in the long run, I still have this vision. Like, oh, it should be like Acorns, you know, where we um, can also look into people's bank accounts and then add up every transaction to like the nearest number, like rounding them up. Um, that's what Acorns does, and, and I think it's really nice way to 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 buy Bitcoin, like very small amounts, and you don't really notice it. But um, I've been looking into it a little bit, and it's kind of difficult because you've got as a business you have transaction fees for separate transactions. So like if you're taking um, I don't know like forty cents as a roundup. I mean, all my margin is gone within the fixed fees. So yeah. it's it's kind of difficult to make the experience for the consumer still like, oh, yeah, it's actually rounding up the numbers. Because, like, obviously you could take all the all the roundups at the end of the month, but then people still see it as like, oh, I'm I'm spending like 60 euros on... It's like, material. It yeah. defeats the psychology. Exactly. You need like bank integrations and stuff. Yeah, right? but that's that's getting pretty easy because, bank I mean, in in... Well, supposedly this year already we're we're supposed to have PSD two regulations, which allow third party companies to look into people's bank accounts in Europe. In Europe, yes. So that's not the difficult part. The actual difficult part is moving the money and not. I, re- I remember we had something like that in America for a little bit. Lawnmower. Do you remember lawnmower? Yeah, lawnmower. Yeah, lawnmower. That's yeah. like yeah. they went that, out of business, I think. Um, but it was why? Like Acorn for Bitcoin. I think uh, they were a little too early. Yeah, they were too early. And it, I think there was a lot of, in America, it's a lot more difficult to integrate with the different banks and see everything. Oh, yeah, true. So I think that was, you know, they had to pour a ton of money into that and that didn't work out well. Yeah. For for Bitter, it's also like I started with this most simplistic component, which is the recurring byte. Yeah, I almost like that. It's just, I it's so much cleaner. You know, it's like this is how much money I'm putting in, converting into Bitcoin, you know on a daily, weekly, monthly, whatever basis. Like, I'd be all about that in America. Like, that would be, that's that's the ideal. It's just, it's just super simple. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I think, moving, so moving forward, like, is there anything, I guess let's talk about more about the mechanics a bit, or like in the Bitcoin side of things, like are you batching transactions? Are you yeah. looking forward to Schnorr and being able to like, one SIG send out multiple outputs and stuff like that? Um, like scaling on the Bitcoin side and then the, the infrastructure side on, on the traditional banking. Yeah, so we've been batching from the very start. Like mm-hmm. I've always thought like, yeah, it's stupid to pay out all the separate transactions. And something I, we've only been doing this for the last month, but I really like the idea 
is that we pay out with super low transaction fees, so like one or two Satoshi per byte um, uh, transactions, and then they all add up to each other. So, you know, we're spending our unconformed change and we'll keep doing that. And then at the end of the day, or like more like at the end of next business day, if the transactions are still unconformed, unconfirmed, then I'm just spending like a little bit bigger transaction to myself. And that's going to confirm all the transactions from the, from the past day. So it's like really cheap for the customer because the customer is paying the transaction fee, the mining fee. That's creative. That's a great idea. Yeah. I've, 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 Child pays your parent. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. And, or, and, yeah. And, or it just confirms on its own. And then you don't yeah. even have to Yeah, then it's also it. good. And it's perfect for this use case, which is like the small yeah, people and reoccurring are, buy. People are not in a rush with the right. Bitcoin they buy through me. Like if they would be in a rush, they go somewhere else. Do you have like a daily, is it like a daily clearing time where you send out all your withdrawals or? No, it's every hour. Every hour. Yeah. Are we going to have, is like Bitter going to start having the BitMEX effect on the, uh, on the mempool? Wait, so BitMEX <laughs> at 9 a.m. this time, BitMEX sends out all their transactions at the same exact time. So, so the fees go up. The fees go up because they only send out their, their, their big transactions all at once. Well, yeah, mine are every hour, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not in increasing my own transaction fees, so it's, I mean. No, yeah, every hour is, is probably better in terms of, like, transaction fee spikes. This is going to be a good problem to have, too, yeah. by the way. Yeah, like, that's a volume problem, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah. No, that, that's great. That's fantastic. I like that idea of, of keeping fees as, lo as low as possible. So it seems like Bitter is, like, a beautifully simple an elegant product like outside of bitter like what other types of stuff would you like to build for bitcoin uh, is good that question too, yeah um, we just built an awesome ass product i know mom that's not enough we need more well, we need what's more. next oh well i don't have my next or, great idea right. yet so not your next great idea what's something that you're looking for or looking forward to being built out whether it's bitcoin at the protocol level or uh sort of utilities on top of bitcoin Put you on the spot. Yeah, I'm thinking. Um, I think like <coughs> I think uh, <laughs> Lightning Network payouts may like. Are you thinking about that on your? Oh, that's a good point. On your um, roadmap at all? Or is that? Yeah. So I, I was thinking the, with the the other part of Bitter that we were discussing previously with the uh, rounding up of people's trend uh, of people's normal spending to to pay out those via Lightning. Because they're super small, like we're talking uh, basically one to ninety-nine euro cent payments. Like that's gonna be too expensive to do on chain. So that would be really cool to do via Lightning. Um, I mean, I think it's the only way to do it through Lightning. And then we really get to stacking sets. Like it's just a few <laughs> sets at, the, um, at a time. Here's three sets. <laughs> you know, like that'd be awesome. It's like you talk about efficiencies a lot in Bitcoin. Like services like this help make the price appreciation as efficient as possible. I would argue, right? Yeah, I, it's infrastructure, and it's like my favorite kind of infrastructure because it doesn't rely on any custodial. That doesn't exist. Does anyone else? I don't know, except for like OTC desks. Once again, is like I don't know anyone else who's doing like a non-custodial Bitcoin on ramp. I mean, again, ask I guess Tech like out. local Bitcoins, hodl hodl. Yeah, but in different ways. This is like seamless. Like you're not getting like a, a seller like on local bitcoins or something and then having to send to a different person like you just always send to the same account 
I have a question. What are your fees? Like, what do oh, you? Oh yeah, take? we should we should have talked about this much earlier. Yeah. So it's it's just one point five percent, and oh, the nice. uh, Bitcoin mining fee, which I try to keep at a minimum. Right, as you said. Cool. That's nice and and. Uh, um, I guess we already said who told us. Uh, Michael Michael said that he really likes. He sent us a screenshot of, of of what your breakdown looks like, and it's really nice how you really lay out what what fees are being taken, oh, yeah. what exchange rate is being taken. It's That's nice a good point, actually. So in the very first version of of Bitter, it was just showing like the incoming euro amount and uh, the outgoing uh, Bitcoin amount. And those divided by each other. So that was like kind of showing an exchange rate. But I was like, that's not really fair because like you're integrating your own fee into it and you're integrating the uh, the mining fee into it. Like people should just be able to see what my service costs. Like I, I hate other platforms that yeah. inc that put their spread inside they of the- They bake it into the spread. Yeah, that's nasty. Yeah. Like, I loved how you had it just like written out exactly what you're paying to the miner, paying to you. Is that was pretty, you saw that screenshot. That was fantastic. Yeah, oh, you've thought through this very, uh, very thoroughly, and it's yeah. again like improving on the UX, improving on, and that is part of the UX. Is something we talk about here a lot. Is especially when you're taking Bitcoin in your own hand, your own custody. There's like those moments. It's like, all right, what's happening with my Bitcoin? Why am I only getting like what fees were taken out? Like we were just talking about. I have a very stuff. simple request. Um, maybe also like list the amount of satoshis, right? Like in, instead of like zero no, points, you oh, can both. do it in both. Okay, you know because like people are comfortable with Bitcoin, so like you can tell them just how many satoshis they've also stacked. We start out with time. both, and then slowly over time, you yeah. just make it satoshis yeah. only. You start normalizing. Exactly. Yeah, we're in a big normalization phase here with uh, making sats the the do denomination with which we talk about Bitcoin. You got to think in sats. Got to so think in sats. I'm seeing here a um, Bitcoin piggy bank. And I'm trying to incorporate that more and more inside of Bitter because I think it's like the perfect model. Like you're putting every week a little bit more into your piggy bank. And uh, I'll make some animation or so that shows sets going into uh, a piggy bank in the email. I like, I love that. Yeah, like, sure. Pig gets a little fatter every email. Yep. You know? <laughs> so what's this, what this piggy is, this is BitPiggy. Um, Shout out Farface2000. Yeah, Farface2000 made them. It comes with an open dime. Okay. It comes with open dime and just QR stickers for the, uh, the address for the address, mm -hmm. and so like so then kids so kids can have their little piggy bank. Nice, it's pretty cool. Very uh, very cool interactive way to stack sats in meat space. If uh, if you ask me, I do like the piggy bank. I do like the piggy bank uh, metaphor. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, it's like every email from Bitter starts with "Oh, yay! There's more Bitcoin in your piggy bank." I saw that. <laughs> I was in, uh, I liked it. Well, all right, let's get a little cosmic here. This like turns into like why we're into Bitcoin, and this is something that uh, sort of on my mind today. Like a lot of people shitting on Bitcoin for sound money and all that stuff, and we're really, I think, caught in this conspicuous consumption, debt finance lifestyle, and I think small things like helping people realize that saving money is cool and probably worthwhile by incentivizing stacking sats with the piggy bank stuff is important. So like the whole concept of, of financing your life via debt or capital accumulation is, is, is a discussion as a society. I think we've gotten away from in a while and like for a while, excuse me. Um, and in America here, it's becoming more and more like of a, 
of a topic of conversation is monetary policy and the stuff. Actually, the bubbles that we're in. I'm not sure if it's pervasive beyond the it's Bitcoin bubble. It's definitely not pervasive at all. But like, do you do you see the value and like the sound money of Bitcoin and and the like saving aspect that it brings to the world and the the store value? Yeah, I think that that's what attracted me most to it. It's like the fixed limit of 21 million, then it's done, as opposed to you know having savings and just seeing them become worth less and less over time. That's just unfair. Um, so I. When I was promoting Bitter before I started building it to some uh, people in the university, I, I, <clears throat> I showed a graph and like I think it only takes uh, 36 years before whatever you have in a savings account is worth half of it. That's crazy. That's insane. Like that doesn't attract anyone to save basically. So I, I think, I mean, if Bitcoin is working out, then, then we do have a money that's worth saving. Yeah. I mean, do you think, do you think holding is using? Mm. I actually gave a talk in, in Lisbon, which I called the huddle problem, because if everyone just huddles, then nobody builds stuff. And then like Bitcoin is not going to be great by itself. We need people building small, like even a product as simple as Bitter. Like we need people to build that. Right. But we also need people to hold it, right? Yeah, we need both. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think this has pretty much been uh, debunked as fun. I mean, with Deruv, Bensal, shout out on Chain and everything they're doing. Uh, but Deruv's huddle waves analysis in particular shows that when the price rises, the distribution of Bitcoins rises, or Bitcoin supply distribution, the Bitcoin supply becomes more distributed because big hodlers are selling. I guess hodls. I think hodl is important. Like we need hodlers, obviously, but people spending too doesn't hurt the network, in my opinion. It's just interesting to me how I feel like it's amazing how frowned upon saving is. Yeah, you that's know? crazy. Yeah, like no one, there's no one who's on the the store value side of Bitcoin's valuation saying no one should spend. Like everyone who wants to spend should spend, but, um, there's plenty of people on the opposite side who are like, if you save Bitcoin, if you, if you hold on to it because you think that it will both protect your wealth and actually grow your wealth because we're still in like an adoption phase, then you're, you're wrong. Like you shouldn't do that. That's not a valid use case of Bitcoin. And I would say like right now, like that's like the most valid use case of Bitcoin. Yeah, especially in this hyper-volatile period where we have price discovery going on. Yeah, you want to protect your wealth. Like, that's the main... If, if Even... even, And they happen to be speculators, too, because if you're trying... You're protecting your wealth, then you're also speculating that it'll go up in price. But, uh, like, I think, like, the key value prop is that, like, your wealth doesn't lose value. Like, not even... You know, it makes value. That's even better. But, <laughs> yeah. but like, that it won't lose value. Yeah. You're not going to lose your satoshis are not going to depreciate against the the, the whole pie or become depreciate or excuse me yeah one satoshi is one satoshi yeah exactly <laughs> there you go starting the normalization process um yeah i guess just open it up here what else you uh from holland live in portugal now you studied in the united states are you a digital nomad yeah kind of but yeah. i don't like the term no like it's that 
I, I think it sounds silly. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm this hipster uh, digital nomad. No, it's just I, I move often just because I like it. Yeah. And I'm not bound to any place. And now, especially with Bitter, it's like, yeah, I mean, I just need my laptop and I can work. Like recently, I was like, ah, it's kind of stupid that um, people can't enter a back 32 address. So I looked a bit into the code myself and I was like, yeah, I can fix this. So now since I think two weeks ago, people are able to do it and I didn't make any announcements, but in my database, I'm seeing a lot of back 32 addresses. Straight to Wasabi and then they can call <laughs> and then yeah, that whole problem is solved without an expo. Yeah, actually this is... Uh, I guess it's not, they can still watch the address, but... This is another really cool idea a friend of mine told me um, that I should only allow my customers to do increments of uh, 25 euros and then pay everyone in 25 euro increments so that you know whenever someone is trying to do some blockchain analysis they just see only 25 euro that's a great idea do that i like that idea it's like a massive coin join-esque thing going on yeah but it's kind of difficult to force the customer because i'm not in control of their payment so you know i'm not pulling money from their bank account so it's kind of difficult to be like okay you can only do 25 50 75 100 it's yeah so never mind it's not I but mean, i like the idea it's yeah, cool it's a nice it's a nice shower thought so that's a fun one yeah that would be dope yeah. you could even like do satoshis too you don't even have to do 25 euro right no like, it has, no, it has, has to be euros like the euro amount has to be fixed the beauty okay. is that it's a push the beauty of the whole thing is that i'm literally doing nothing on your website yeah except that, the that's original how it, setup then I just go into my bank's app or whatever, and I just, whenever I send Ruben money, like Bitcoin comes out the other side. Like that's the beauty. The, the, no app, nothing. It's just send it. <laughs> and that's also part of the security model. So um, once people have done a transaction, they can't change their uh, bank account or their address anymore. Because I'm thinking, uh, if you were somehow able to change the address through our customer support, then nobody, nothing changes on the customer's end in terms of paying. But now, like people would like kind of need to have access to their bank account, which like that's not my problem. The bank should protect it. So yeah, it, like, it's really secure too by not having anything on our website that can be changed afterwards. Because if they, if you, if you change, like if like a malicious individual or something changes the address and the person keeps sending the reoccurring payment, doesn't check the address. Maybe, exactly. Right? Because like, there's no, I mean, also since recently there's a reference to the Blockstream block explorer to like see your transaction that I'm sending with my confirmation emails. Right. But before that, there was like no, there's no mentioning of your Bitcoin address. So you would literally not see anything changed and you just keep receiving those emails and you think, oh, I'm getting Bitcoin every week. But in fact, someone else is getting them. More so, of a reason to do this XPUB thing too, though. Yeah, true, true. Right, because that was like the complaint we heard was that they couldn't change their address. But that yeah. makes sense. That's a valid reason not yeah. to change it. it. Just keeps it simple and secure. And uh, one small other thing that I have heard some complaints about is like, why don't you uh, pull the money from my bank account which is also a possibility throughout europe but the problem there is like consumers can revert those transactions up to 13 months after so i would need to you know well that's 
for a start, it's a huge risk on me because if I pay out Bitcoin, they're gone. Like I'm not getting them back. Oh, but a, a but the consumer can take their euros back for up to 13 months afterwards. So like that's, that's similar a, that's to ACH here. Yeah. Wait, but US. that's not the case if they send it. If they send it, it's no. Less? If they send it, they push the transaction and it's it's irreversible. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Is it irreversible in the United States? With ACH, it is. If, if they can pull it, from your or push to your it, account and yeah, then it's irreversible. They can pull it from there too. Yeah. Otherwise, there's like a five day clearing if they pull it or something. Yeah, I mean five days is okay. It's still risky, but thirteen months that's right. That's that's way, way too ridiculous. Risky. Yeah. That, and then Bitcoin could go through the roof <laughs> or something too in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of where I want to go next. What um. I think we've covered better pretty intently. I, I yeah. guess let's keep talking down like the, the, the risk security scenarios that you find yourself in. Like that's something uh, that we didn't have on the docket that just came out. Like what else, what else are you thinking of from like an attack vector perspective? What's it like being the one man behind this, uh, this project? I mean, that's not great because I've, uh, I'm actually writing a manual at the moment that I uh, can pass on to someone that explains like the technicalities of the project and like if something were to happen like for example on my flight here um that someone else would still be able to do the ongoing transactions um but yeah that's something that's been on my mind only recently with increased volume i was like oh actually there's some serious money going through this company now like i i shouldn't create a backup plan and uh yeah figure out i mean like you set it up like ideally for this because he doesn't he doesn't hold much of their dollars or much of their bitcoin at any given time no there, it's maximum it's like, one hour yeah that's fantastic like that is like in terms of like bitcoin businesses especially bitcoin businesses that interact with fiat he's already reduced his attack surface like tremendously do you think this business model will be the first in sort of a an explosion of similar like models um, I would expect in a couple of years to see banks integrated, but they would be custodian. So it's like, I mean, not the same. But they yeah. could give you like an address. They give <sighs> but it banks are like, not going to do that. It seems like you found like a like a sweet spot where I think so too. You've uh, you've eliminated a lot of ri- or a lot of custody risk and sort of created a seamless process and seem to be have, having some ha- happy high uh, high value customers already. So. Um, no, I think I, I just make like why did it take so long for this service to come to be? Why do you think? I don't know. Maybe like when I started the project, I thought I would address people that are new to Bitcoin, but that turned out to be quite difficult um, because people need to set up their wallet, need to backup, need to make a backup, and it's kind of hard to do it that way. So for those people, they would be more likely to use Coinbase. And what I'm seeing most of the traffic from is people that, you know, already know Bitcoin and they just want to buy it recurrently. And apparently they didn't find a service to do that either uh, before Bitter. Well, what I like is this is completely, I guess I'm like, first of all, Marty, usually I'm not in the interviews, but I was just so excited about your product. And like all of that just felt together so beautifully that I was like, I'm absolutely going to join this interview. <laughs> um, the second thing is um, what, what's what's really interesting about um, 
Cash App is like I feel like is is you can do, you can have your your paycheck get direct deposited into your into your Cash App account and then and then buy Bitcoin. Um, VACH. Yeah, VACH. I think that your service basically allows anyone to get paid in Bitcoin that wants to get paid in Bitcoin without ever getting paid in Bitcoin because like if their paycheck comes in like on like a Friday then they just set like their reoccurring Ruben send like over to a bidder and whatever portion of their salary that they get in get automatically gets converted to Bitcoin. So like basically like anyone in Europe right now can get paid in Bitcoin without their boss ever knowing they're getting paid in Bitcoin. Right? Thank you for your service. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very cool. That's and I, I remember uh, what I wanted to touch on is like, so it seems like a lot of people haven't come up. Like it seems like it took 10 years almost for your business idea to come out because people sort of approach the way these products should be built from like a traditional financial mindset. And you're saying like while you're at that master's program, you're looking for use cases that Bitcoin would be unique for. And this seems to be one of them. So yeah. I guess what we could talk about here is like the, a lot of people I would argue have like these uh, blinders on in front of them, like approaching products from like a traditional banking system, FinTech perspective and what opportunities is Bitcoin opened up that, that sort of you're leveraging and. Yeah. But as a, as a Bitcoiner, you look the other way around. It's like, yeah. I want a service that fits my needs, not the one that's served the needs of the banks. Yeah. Um, it's still like, I, I do think that Bitter is only a temporary company, like, I don't know in how many years, but it won't be necessary anymore to do the conversion. So it's yeah. not like an eternal company, but that's okay. Yeah, that's why we're waiting to hear your next idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, I think it, I think your Bitter highlights an inherent design, first principles design flaw that a lot of people have when approaching Bitcoin. Like, you can get creative with it. Like, you don't need to custody the Bitcoin. You just need to set up these ramps for like, hey, I'm the dude who sends you Bitcoin when you when you send money to this address. And so I think that's one thing I want to highlight in this interview is you're thinking of unique ways that Bitcoin can be leveraged that I don't think people have been thinking about up to this point. Enough people. Yeah, I love like just like the super simple tools. You know, it's just it's super simple. He collects his big. It like operates like on Bitcoin's like greed system. Basically, <laughs> where like he gets paid to offer everyone else an additional service and all of a sudden Bitcoin gets like a, a beautiful additional on-ramp. And, yeah, and I, it's I even a little bit cheaper than Coinbase, does it? At least in Europe. Isn't Coinbase 1.5%? I think it's 1.5% on the conversion, but they have another fee added there afterwards, which is also half a percent. So it ends up being two, I think. That's last la last I think time I checked. Right. Yeah. They like hide it a little bit. Too. Yeah. Yeah, they like make it like a little bit confusing. But either way, like fuck Coinbase. So you know, <laughs> yes, you know, delete Coinbase. Yeah, you have that. You you have that advantage. Dude, and then like Kraken, like you just, have to like actually like I'm pretty sure you have to actually like set a limit order like on like use it like a traditional exchange. You can't just like press buy Bitcoin. You can. It's a market on order. Kraken. Yeah. But yeah, you'd have to like literally you'd have to open up the order book and do a market order. Yeah, yeah, but it's all yeah. through their API that is done. Right, no, but I'm saying not for you. I'm saying like just a typical European. Oh, right? like yeah. That, I mean, that, I feel like that. That is a is. I, I I've tried to so, so 
I have a older coworker in my in my meat space business uh, that that wanted to get into Bitcoin and you know fuck Coinbase and Cash App is app only and he's not an app dude. He can't do apps. So <laughs> like I that. tried to onboard him onto Gemini, right? Oof, okay. And with Gemini, there's no brokerage element to it. Like Coinbase has a brokerage element where like you can just like buy Bitcoin. Um, Gemini you have to like open up the order book and like place like a market order to yeah. uh, to, to buy and that is like a people don't like that are in this you, space don't realize but that's a major UX hurdle like that oh, yeah. bothers people I think my mom can use bitter she wouldn't be able to use right. Kraken right but she could probably use coinbase yeah right yeah is your mom using bitter uh, not at the moment no you gotta get your parents on board. You gotta show it to them. My dad is. Yeah, my mom go. is it. There you go. But uh, I'm, my parents, I'm still trying to sell them. <laughs> oh, my dad's. He's in the rabbit try, hole. Try I to get the uh, Bitcoin Rabbi book. I, I oh. ordered a bunch, but I haven't read it yet. Actually, uh, I got it waiting for me downstairs. It just arrived. Yeah. Oh, I um, want to see it too. I haven't ordered yet. Confession. Uh, I'm going to. I must confess to be a good boy here. I did not order it. Bitcoin Rabbi sent me one. Oh, awesome! Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I actually I did read it, but I didn't like hold it. Like I read it in PDF form, mm-hmm. and it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah. gonna onboard a lot of new people. Potentially, yes. Yeah, a lot of new I, kids. I like. I don't know if this is gonna be a controversial statement or not. It's probably gonna be a controversial statement. Just say it. might might be more might be more influential than the bitcoin standard whoa 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 it really hit home it just like it dove in it just like and just hit you right yeah it did it's a it's a very I mean, it's it was a, like 10 pages versus like 300 yeah i mean Monsieur mamadov <laughs> that's who that's who held it up Monsieur held it up at columbia university i talked about this in the previous podcast but butchered the thing but he held up like the uh bitcoin rabbi's book the children's book behind uh Columbia University was like, I learned more from this children's book than I did at this university in the last few years. No, so the more educated, like, again, like, we were talking about this on Rabbit Hole re- Recap right before you hopped in here, like, it seems like the on-ramps are being built out, the education's being refined. It's like, what can stop Bitcoin at this point? Which I think is a good question for you. Like, what worries you about Bitcoin? Uh, what, what scenario can you see Bitcoin failing? Um, well, I was a little bit scared for the uh, new EU regulations that were going to affect crypto companies. But then looking at it, it's like we're doing what they're asking for already because our banks ask us to do it. So it was like, OK, that will that'll do. But if they would have like crammed down on all the on and off ramps, then that would have, I think, hurt Bitcoin. Because if if all those people that buy Bitcoin through me now have to you know, only use cash to get it. It's going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the big uh, sort of overarching topic about Bitcoin's biggest hurdles going forward is state clamping down. Do you see a scenario in which, like, states compete for Bitcoiners? Like, do you think EU regulation is fighting against U.S. regulation right now? Is fighting against Latin American, African... I will, uh, it will probably be smaller nations. Like, I think there's already a little bit of that going on in Georgia. Where they're pretty crypto friendly and let's dive into that. What's going on in Georgia? 
I don't know the particulars, but I, I've heard that it's welcoming to like you can buy property with Bitcoin and yeah. Belarus just announced they want to do uh, Georgia's bid for it's yes. like uh, they they love Bitcoin over there. They have hydro, they have like massive hydro. I'm like ninety nine percent sure they have massive hydro and they. It seems like to convert into it seems money. like Eastern Europe's like on top of it. Like Hoddle Hoddle has the Riga conference. They've got a nice presence over there. Belarus, Treasures, Treasures, Czech, Czech Republic, yes, Czech Republic. Um, And then the well, more particularly, like the governments, like Belarus, just came out so they want to start mining with nuclear energy. (laughs) Georgia's on top of it. Cyprus on top of it. Is there anything about like Eastern Europe? Do you think in particular sort of drives people towards Bitcoin? I couldn't point at a single reason. No, no, no. I think. What do you think? Well, Matt? actually, maybe in like for example, uh, there was this study by ING that was like, where is the most interest in Europe in Bitcoin, and Romania was scoring really high. And um, I was asking my friends there, like, why do you think that is? And they were like, well, we've got so much corruption that we just would rather have our own money and not the government's money. Yeah, that's what, and also like Soviet bloc countries in general. Like, they've recently had massive, massive hardship. They understand devaluation of currencies, like, on a rapid scale, like, in recent, super recent history. And the corrupt officials love Bitcoin, right? That's the other thing. It's like, not only do the people see the appeal of Bitcoin, like, the corrupt officials fucking love it. Like, if if the U.S., if, if they think that Bitcoin is the money... The only money in the world that the U.S. can't get their hands on, like they're gonna flock to it. I think Bulgaria is like the, like in terms of governments, it possesses the most Bitcoin. Yeah, because then wasn't that the BTCE? Wasn't that guy hiding in Bulgaria? Was that? But then they denied it. It was a denied it afterwards, which was a dark smart move. Was it a dark market or was it BTCE? It was a dark market, I'm pretty yeah, sure. It was a dark market. I think. Yeah, the, yeah, the money that was, it was it was dark market related, not BTC related. And then they denied it like a week later. Mm-hmm. It came out like that they had like a shit ton. I think it's like 300,000 Bitcoin or something. It was a right? lot. Yeah. It, was, it was a lot of Bitcoin. You remember that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then they denied it, which is what I would absolutely do. Like, you do not want that information. <laughs> Just sit out. on it. Just sit on it. Just wait. Just wait it out, you know. Stuff's gonna happen. You don't have it. The year is twenty fifty. Like, what? What country was it? Was it Belarus? Bulgaria. 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 It was Bulgaria. The year's like twenty fifty. Bulgaria is like the richest country. In the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like, out of like sheer luck and like a little bit of skill, like they were like, oh, we'll deny it, and like we'll store it on our treasure or something. You know, and they're just like they didn't they didn't store it that well, but they stored it like decently. I hope well. they got a multi sig at least. Yeah. I mean, well, that's like the rumor, like North Korea holds like a ton of Bitcoin. Venezuela is mining some. That's the other thing is like, it's, Bitcoin's heavy, man. Like if it gets, could get, I mean, is there such thing as Bitcoin being in the hands of the wrong people? Like a Venezuela government's mining and getting Bitcoin. Is that in the hands of the wrong people? Or is the fact that it's an amoral uh, protocol that has no idea how we're using uh, Bitcoin it? Bitcoin is non-political. Like, I mean, everyone can own it. Yeah. No, but this is, I mean, this is a big, big thing of FUD production. I mean, obviously, I agree with you guys. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. <laughs> this is a big uh, FUD producing sort of a uh, line of thought is, hey, 
Venezuela's accumulating, North Korea's accumulating, Iran maybe accumulating. Like, how do we how do we get over that PR hump? I guess is what I'm trying to get at. By just having enough normal people own Bitcoin, right? It's like, just like why cash works is like, yeah, I mean, there's still a good amount of normal people that have it, and yes, criminals use it too. Yeah, but I think. I again, I completely agree. But we've obviously, as Bitcoiners, been tasked with, I would argue, uh, a more arduous path uh, to explaining the benefits of Bitcoin. Where mining, mining fud's a big thing. We're boiling the oceans. Criminals and drug dealers and terrorists are using it. Um, I f- these these are very unique hurdles to Bitcoin, and Bitcoiners trying to explain the use case that we have to overcome. And, it's always something I'm fascinated to hear people's ideas on. And this is, what are your thoughts on this? What is the best way to just use it, get get into normal people's hands, have them use it, and people just won't be able to refute it? Well, the, there's also another side to look at that. So nowadays, um, euros and dollars are by like is the normal money, but it's also the state's money and the big banks and the big corporations is what use that money. But if all the normal people use Bitcoin, then at some point the governments are just playing their own game with their own money and like it doesn't affect anyone else. And that's like where I would love to see in the next 20, 30 years. I love this talk, Ruben. This is the type of talk I'm looking for. Like, and this is something we've been talking about with Wasabi and coin joining in particular is like if we want a certain degree of privacy on the network, we need people to participate. You need people to participate in coin joins and sort of the UTXO set just passed 4% of all transactions or coin joins recently um i mean yeah like look at it from like ruben's perspective like so if he goes with his xpub route right they uh his customers receive it to a new xpub address so if anyone's watching a specific address they don't see it happen unless they have the xpub then they know um and then from that point he could still presumably track your transactions whatever you send to on the blockchain um, because he knows your 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 original he sent them to you. your original address, but if you go through CoinJoin, then Ruben doesn't have to know. You know, like that helps. That doesn't just help the person who did the CoinJoin. It helps. It helps you as well because you don't want to. You don't want to know. That I don't want to know what my customers do with that exactly. Bitcoin. It's none of my business. Exactly. So that secures it. It it helps Bitcoin on two fronts. Like, yeah, I completely agree and it's how do we, how do we like you're saying your mom doesn't use bitter yet she uses it's probably easier for your, her to use another exchange no she's just not into bitcoin yet she's not into nope. bitcoin yet her right. is that if, if she was into bitcoin she'd be using bitter like that'd be that'd be a little bit that'd be fucked yeah, up yeah yeah that'd be fucked up <laughs> i wonder if my mom listens to this podcast mom if you're listening i love you that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh my dad doesn't know how to download podcasts yet which is part of my Bitcoin thesis is they can't even download podcasts yet. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, you know, they can't get into Bitcoin yet. They'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, hour and five minutes in here. I want to keep going. We got plenty of time. I guess we should just riff on on what's going on right now. Like, what are your thoughts on? What like, about conferences? Are you guys going to any in the near future? We're going to Bitcoin 2019. San Francisco. In San Francisco, we're going to BitBlock Boom. I'll be at Value of Bitcoin in Belgium. We'll obviously be here in two weeks Munich, for Shitcoin Week, yeah, which is in New York. We have a massive yeah, we're, influx of people. I feel like we're we're Winterfell 
uh, gearing up for the battle of against yeah. the White Walkers. <laughs> All the White Walkers are gonna come into town. <laughs> it's gonna be great. I went to Consensus last year. Last year, yeah. What were wow, you doing there? Ago. I got a free ticket. Okay. Uh, this guy I met at a bar at an after party. The after parties are good. Yeah. The after parties are good. I thought you I said think, African party first. I was like, well, no, no. well you were talking about African crypto regulation or whatever, and I was like, there's no regulation. <laughs> but uh, they just outright ban it. But he gave me a ticket that he found in the trash. So like, I went. I, it was actually really fun because I I went as like an Ernst and Young uh, employee because that was the guy's ticket who he threw in the trash. He only went for the first day. So the second day, I actually went like. All the blockchain, not Bitcoin people were like coming up to me because I was the E and Y guy, you know, like I was the as so I was like I was a Bitcoiner in disguise, so it was like extra shit corny. Did you get your blockchain socks from E Y? Uh, no, I just had the ticket from the garbage. Like they didn't give me like the swag bag and shit. Like, we don't get media passes here at TFTC. We have to dig through the garbage to no, get yeah. our, to get our conference. <laughs> it's uh, an honor. It's an honor. No, but it is. Uh, it's funny. It'll be interesting to see how. Uh, how well received consensus is this year well, we're going to riga too right we'll why are you guys not going to breaking bitcoin in amsterdam maybe i love amsterdam you should come the what freaks it, not it'll be amsterdam. fun i'm gonna be in munich that week so i may hop over to amsterdam for that maybe i'll do that we're doing we're doing a dinner the uh thursday before i think it's the sixth okay so um, the sixth of what june of june i think the conference is seven and eight okay. but so if, if anyone's interested, uh, they can just message me on Twitter for a steak dinner. Awesome. Picking a steak here. I know. Now I'm getting FOMO. I might, I might do it. <laughs> I love, I, Amsterdam is probably the second best city in the world after New York, I would say. I can't attest. I've never been. You've never been, but it's... I've recorded podcasts from there, and that was a great podcast. I was just like on a canal. You know, it's like beautiful. It's like, I fucking love it. And Ruben was kind enough to bring some waffles with him. Oh, yeah. some Ooh. Dutch special specialties. I'm excited to dive into those. Um, now, yeah, but we're about to get attacked with shit coiners in this city. I guess that's another topic. Good luck. Yeah. So somebody who studied, and again, you said you tried that supply chain thing. Like, how many? How how long do you think it will take for people to sort of come to grips with how these networks are very limited in their abilities and? probably only work for very limited use cases mm, not so long anymore i think no. i hope but uh, to be honest like a lot of the other students in my cohort they're like i would only know like one i was with 14 14 of us and there's only one other guy that's like a true bitcoiner all the others are like still i mean some are employed some are looking for like blockchain related jobs which i no that's one thing i ponder about or think on a lot too is like how many more of these altcoin cycles can we have is there like a price point at which bitcoin hits a threshold that bitcoin hits where it's like all right they're probably give up (laughs) it's not we give up yeah it's we give up it's not even we give up it's we submit like if we submit it's probably not likely that something will overtake this because that's like a lot of the banter that goes on particularly with crypto traders people that are trading these markets is like ah these altcoins are going to be around forever but there has to be a psychological price point, at least in my mind, where people say, all right, probably won't be a Bitcoin 2, 2.0 if it's reached this market cap and is this saturated. Um, not a question, just a just a random thought to put out there. Do you have anything to say about this, Ruben? Um, well, I hope 
I just hope that sooner or later that you can just go to any conference and just not meet any blockchain people. Just Bitcoiners. <laughs> I don't think that will happen anytime soon. So you were at Riga last year. Yeah. Was that your first conference? No, no. Oh. How great is it, like, going to these conferences? It's amazing. You, just, uh, like, these people that you follow on Twitter that you have no idea who they actually are, and you just, like, meet them in person during these conferences. It's so weird, but awesome, but yeah. weird. Really yeah, it's weird. really weird. It's really weird. And it's really just weird. a few conferences, like, Breaking Bitcoin, uh, Baltic Honey Badger. Yeah, you have to be selective. Yeah. Because most of them are absolutely garbage, right? Yeah. Even la- last year, I went to... Uh, Bitcoin Expo in Boston. I just like going back to Boston because I studied there a We're few years ago. We're going to Boston next week. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I went again this year and I was like, hmm, it's not as diehard Bitcoin as it was a year ago, which is bad. Like it's very VCE. VCE. <laughs> Same with New York. Same with New York. There's a lot of bullshit. There's a, lot of oh, bullshit. there's a ton of bullshit in the city, but there's also a ton of very good signal in the city too if you know where to look. The we- the weirdest part about conferences, like, like meeting people, especially as like a as a podcaster, the w- and we do like a weekly podcast. Are we officially podcasters now? I think so. I, okay. I guess. I mean, we're first and foremost we're Bitcoiners, and then maybe like, the- like number four we're podcasters. There's all these other things in our lives that matter that are after Bitcoin, because we're just way too obsessed. Um, but the weird thing is, like, as, like, a weekly Bitcoin podcaster, is, like, you meet people, and they're, like, I've been talking to you for months. You just never respond to me. Just, I just hear you. I just hear your side. But, I like, I know exactly what you're going through, but I have no, you have no idea what I'm going through. But I know you. It's, you know? Uh, it's weird, but it's awesome. It's an awesome experience. I was just thinking of my Twitter bio, if I made it Bitcoiner comma husband like put bitcoin before like being like a husband or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely not Don't nah. do that. it's, it's uh, also true for like me as a guest now on the on your podcast like i know your voices but it's kind of weird to see the face with it in real yeah. life very yeah. underwhelming right? yeah. very underwhelming this I'm is sure. your first time hearing your voice it's like a little bit unfair it is not unfair i love it this is like my favorite part of it like i didn't I wouldn't recognize you until I opened the door. I was like, yeah, I know this is Ruben. And <laughs> True. That's the thing about beauty of Bitcoiners. Like we hit it off right away. And we're, that's another thing that makes me bullish on Bitcoin is that I'm not meeting more Bitcoiners. Makes me think I'm a little less crazy than I thought before I met a new Bitcoiner. It's like, all right, you seem like a very rational person, a very smart person, a well put together person who knows what they're doing. You've come to the same conclusions that I have. And uh, you don't seem like some insane person that's fucking just in this for some. Well, weird I think that also shows if you start a company, a Bitcoin company in like 2018, like bear market, I think that shows your own values. It's like yeah. you're not into this. I mean, because of some crazy hype, you actually believe in this. Yeah, you're either you either believe in it or you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 it's like one or the other. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, Matt. I mean, it's one or the other. He's right. He's right. Like, why would you launch in the bear market? You would launch it if you either believed in it or you just were just fucking dumbass. Yeah. What's it been like launching in a bear market? You think this is like, would you rather launch here than November Yeah, this, this was fantastic because, like, in the beginning, the volume was quite uh, little. But it helped me figuring out, like, small things that I was doing wrong. So, for example, I used to use limit orders on the exchanges. 
but I actually got burned once on that because I had paid out the customer and just that order never filled. So like I Bitcoin just did Bitcoin. And yeah, exactly. Crazy, right? So uh, Love it. that made me change like how we do it. And now we just place market orders and right. we wait like a couple of seconds to see how many Bitcoin we bought for the customer. Right. Yeah, definitely better. I think it's way better bear market. If you yeah. look at like every company in the Bitcoin space, every single one that's launched in the bear markets has done better because every time someone launches in a bull market, they set their expectations like ridiculously high. And it's like not even, they might have the best idea ever, uh, but they just get fucked. You see this a lot with noobs getting like drawn to mining in particular. They'll like get into Bitcoin in a bull run. They'll be like, oh, mining is the next big thing. Cloud mining. They love, <laughs> they love cloud mining. I guess cloud mining is kind of a competitor to you. Why? Because people view it as I want reoccurring income. Right, yeah, like I'm gonna, I'll pay them if they, this amount of money, and they're gonna get their 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 weekly payouts or their daily payouts or something like that. If they understand mining a little bit, they should know <laughs> that it's just better to buy yeah. than to do it this way. But no, they don't. They always, I 2017, so many people, like decent acquaintances of mine and close friends alike, went with the cloud mining approach. Because it like mentally, psychology wise, like made sense to them. And I told them like a million times, I told them, don't do it. I did it. Don't do it. They can, they can leave with all your money. You're even if they don't leave with all your money, you're better off buying it. All these different things. Doesn't matter. They need to go through their like little cloud mining phase where they don't make as much money as if they've just bought it. And then they will eventually graduate. You got to learn, you know, yeah, you got to, yeah. you got to take your lumps. But it's 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 funny. It's funny the how it's like almost predictable. Seeing, I've been through two full bull bear markets now. Um, seeing people come in make the same mistakes you did. It's inevitable almost. And that's what like a lot of people are like. Oh, we want to save noobs, save noobs. I was that guy too. But it's like it's impossible at some point. Like human nature. No, people just. I mean, it's kind of bad. But it's just like with children. Like they just need to get burned once. They you touch get, the stove. They, they have to touch, touch the it. Stove. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think we've protected some noobs from not touching the stove to begin with, and that's fucking dope. But I think that the majority will have to, like, we are not at the point, at least Bitcoin is not at the point right now, where the majority of people will come in and they will get burnt first, and then they will ultimately realize that Bitcoin's the best money we've ever had, and then they will start accumulating Bitcoin. Like, I think, like, maybe in the future we'll hit that point, Probably not, but no matter what, like once you have to take responsibility into your own hands and like do your own thing with money, people are going to get burned and they learn along the way. Yeah, and then they end up on bitter if they're in Europe. They start buying stacking yeah. sats through that. And yeah, that's that's also one of the values I started a company with is like I want to promote responsible investment. Like don't go and buy all of your savings at once. Don't put it into Bitcoin at once. Just do of your own, like of your work or whatever of whatever income in euros, just set a little bit aside in Bitcoin. Yeah, and it's, again, like we touched on this earlier too, like it's changing that mindset of debt-driven, conspicuous consumption to, hey, throw a few shekels away every paycheck is yeah. is a, a cognitive shift that needs to happen in, on the planet, not only in this country, but like in the, the whole fucking planet, the rock that we're flying on right now. Are shekels a shitcoin? <laughs> 
I don't think I think shekels were shekels were silver, weren't they? I don't know. I don't know. They might have been. I think a shekel was like a silver. Well, silver is a shit coin. Yeah. Well, Maybe back. gold will still have value, but silver, like, how could silver still have that? I'll have look a little bit. I don't have any silver. Yeah. Not a silver bag holder. Not a silver bag holder either. Ruben, what interests you outside of Bitcoin? Traveling. Traveling? Yep. Yeah. And flying you? in particular. I love flying. Why? I don't Why know. Why do you I love just, flying? I, I hate don't. flying. What airline did you fly here? Just now on Delta. What'd you think? Uh, it's all right. Yeah. I like. I prefer KLM or wait, Air wait, France wait, going wait, here. Wait, but wait, wait. Let's, but why do you like flying? You don't like flying. You like arriving and departing, right? No, you don't I actually, actually like. The I like the act of flying because like really? you are completely disconnected. You can just read a book and like I love that tranquility. Oh, that is cool. That is cool. I, my my thing with flying is is like the one. I'm a control freak, and it's like the one time in my life. We're like, I, when my, when I take off, I'm just like, well, the dude I've never met who's in the cockpit <laughs> is completely in control of my life and I might die because of his actions and I'm at peace with that. It's the one time in my life where I'm at peace. With I'm that. the same exact way and it blows my mind. Like my wife and my sister-in-law have like flight anxiety. I'm like, this is like the one thing where you just submit yourself. <laughs> yeah. right, I'm coming on here. There's if nothing I, die, I can I die. do. There's this not in my hands. I bought the ticket. You're most likely not going to die unless you're in like a Boeing Max 70. <laughs> but you just got to submit yourself. And like the people that get freaked out on flights, say, hey, don't freak out. Drink a little bit. Yeah, it's the last moments of your life. You should be enjoying them. You should be anxious. But the internet element is interesting too. It's because it's the one time in life nowadays where if you don't respond, it's completely acceptable. Well, I am traveling. The uh, Being in a cross-country flight is the reason that I've only ever missed one bent in the last two years. Yeah. I could not get my 2FA <laughs> on my internet Wi-Fi, so I could not rate the bent. Um, I was pissed off at that, but it was therapeutic as well. No, the funniest part about this story is that I went, then I went to give him shit because, you know, uh, two-factor authentication through email or text is worse for you than if you use, like, actual OTP two-factor yeah. through an app. And he was like, I actually did use OTP two-factor through an app, but it needed an update, and I couldn't oh. get, <laughs> get the update internet. on the Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like, I'll give you that, I guess. Yeah. That's the one instance where I was like, all right, maybe I should buy a YubiKey. Or just like use an app that doesn't require you to update to get the code. That's true. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. So what's Portugal like? It's really nice. Like I actually, I would invite all Bitcoiners to just like, we have a co-working space. It's called The Block. And it's just super nice there. Like everyone is doing something with crypto. Uh, everyone is doing their own project, but we have lunch together. We talk Bitcoin. Um just come over for a month check out lisbon yeah what's the food scene like over there it's really nice and you know it's it's dirt cheap in lisbon like compared to any other european city yeah i mean you're talking to new yorkers so like literally everywhere but iceland is cheap <laughs> uh, here's here yeah it's like here zurich san francisco tokyo yeah they're all cheap yeah. except except for iceland iceland's the only place i went to iceland once super expensive from New York point of view, it's the only place I've ever been. As I went to fucking Hong Kong, went to 118th floor because Murad recommended the bar, and it was a fucking Ritz Carlton. And I walk into the Ritz Carlton bar at 118th floor, like one of the high, the highest bar in the world, except for fucking a dry country like Dubai has a higher building, um, which is like bullshit. Like that's not a bar if it's a fucking dry country. 
And I looked at the prices and I was like, this is cheap. Because of New York. Because New York is like ridiculous. New York is absolutely ridiculous in prices. Yeah, it's pretty... So Lisbon. It's pretty fucked up here. When I moved to New York from Chicago, like when I was paying in rent in Chicago, I was paying like $600 a month for one bedroom of a three bedroom, like 1500 foot monstrosity moving in and paying double for a 250 square foot studio. I shared with my wife. That was a huge like kick in the dick. That's rough. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Lisbon. I would love to move to Lisbon. Just, I mean, just well, try it out for a month. That's what I can did. Can we do that as Americans? Can we just go there for a month? Yeah, yeah. you can come up three sure. months. Oh, there you go. That's actually... That. I love the idea of like... We have super fast internet too. That's like yeah. the only thing that matters to people That's like what us. I'm saying. Isn't like that great? fiber. Like fiber. I agree that digital nomad name is a horrible fucking name. But that lifestyle is a fantastic fucking lifestyle. Like, What's that it? Is agree. Like yeah, the let's, lifestyle. let's jump into the lifestyle. Like, well, How did you decide to move to Portugal? Are you like in a month-to-month rent situation? Um, locked down a lease. Well, no, I am renting a room. Like, for there's no end to it. But uh, so I came to breaking b- building on Bitcoin last uh, summer, and then part of the event was also hosted at the block, the co-working space. And I was like, that's a much better environment than being back at home in Holland and doing it there out of my bedroom. Um, because here I get to meet some other Bitcoiners and, and it's a nicer city. So yeah, that's how I moved to Lisbon. Yeah. Um, that's a, uh, you're speaking to somebody, this is my corner. You freaks can't see it. <laughs> I'm in my corner where I write the bet and record the podcast. I'm pretty much in this corner for like 80% of the week. The corner? The corner. What is, uh, what about the language difference? Cause like you uh, obviously Dutch is your first language, right? Uh, yeah. I sp- I speak English too, but um, obviously, clearly, you uh, you, do? you really you don't need good English. You really don't need Portuguese. We're speaking Dutch Wait, the whole we, time. Have we been speaking Dutch the whole time? <laughs> yeah, so you don't need Portuguese uh, in Lisbon. Outside of Lisbon, you would. But yeah, but you have no Portuguese. Do you have no. you been working on it? No. Can but you give us bon like Gia, a Bitcoin in bon Portuguese? Gia. Have you learned that one? That's the only Portuguese I know. Is bon. I think I stacking sats like wherever place it's pretty you universal. Go, is I, it? I, I usually, whenever I go somewhere, I know, please, thank you. Where's the bathroom? Can I get a beer? But like stacking sats should be like, you should know if you're a big, if you're a true Bitcoiner and you like go to another country, like you should know how to say stacking sats in, in their language. Well, sats would be universal, right? So you just have to figure out how to say sats. Right. Cause it's stacking. Satoshi. Yeah. Yeah. So stacking, you have to know how to say stacking. As long as you know how to say stack, do you know how to say stacking in Portuguese? I think it would be Pupe Bitcoin. Pupe Bitcoin. Yeah. Pupe Sats. Yeah. Wow, that just doesn't have the ring to it. No, stacking Sats is amazing. It just sounds so nice. It sounds so good. We just put in an effort to to spread the message to the world. If you freaks out there want to uh, poop Sats, want to uh, no, want to to tweet at us uh, what stacking Sats would be in your native language. Feel free. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, nice. I like that one. Yeah, I like that too. well, thank you for building better to help people stack sats out there. Thanks for hosting me today. Well, thanks for coming. I'm, I don't know if there's a whirlwind from you, like off the airplane, through customs, on the subway, to my apartment, um, excuse me, to our studio. Uh, <laughs> I'm honored that you would take some time out of your schedule to come speak with us, man. Thanks you, for inviting me. Have you ever been in New York before? I have been, when I was uh, living in Boston. Uh, right, but, right, of course. 
So before we end it here, like, do you have a parting note for the freaks of what you're building a bidders or the mission? Uh, any advice for newbies getting in? Anybody learning how to build a business on Bitcoin? Any sort of tidbits that you learned from your master's program? Anything you want to end it on? Well, for all your listeners, just uh, stack sets. And if there are some other founders that want to talk to me, like on starting a company or getting some uh, advice, just feel free to DM me on Twitter. And where can we do that? It's at uh, Watermaniac. At Watermaniac. I like yeah. that. I love that. And then what's the bitters handle? At uh, get Bitter. At Get Bitter. Yeah. Yes. And then it's at GetBitter.com. That's Bitter, B-I-T-T-R. We're, we're big on cutting out uh, cutting out and uh, switching letters in, in the Bitcoin space. I So what, the one of the things is, so you reached out to us on Twitter, and then in uh, the following RHR, I basically reached out to all of our listeners, and I said to them, let us know if because let's be frank like in this space there's so many fucking scams and like horrible people that operate in this space so like i would never and marty as well would never we would never blindly shill a company that 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 we had no experience with um and because you're european only we can't actually experience uh, your business we can't sh- try out your business we should ourselves do a, we should do a test transaction just here after the podcast yeah that would be awesome but down. but the key thing i was going to say is is that so we reached out to our listeners and we said a lot of you are in europe can can you test this out for us or have you used it before and we had some very quality uh p- p- people that we that we respect a shit ton they they said that they had a had the great experience with with your uh, that's great your product and um i'm i'm very excited to to show your product going forward is is basically is basically what i'm saying is that i feel like this is is the best way to stack sats in europe i would agree and i'm excited to see other wily entrepreneurs take after you and build a business model similar to yours because i think it makes the most sense and reduces risk for everybody involved Yep. Um, so thank you again for building this, for spreading the good word of Bitcoin, uh, and for joining us today in the studio. Thank you. Anything to add on? Stay humble. Stack sets. Peace and love, freaks. Take